and welcome in. It's the Mostly Magic Podcast. Jake Chapman here with you. It is Tuesday, March 1st, believe it or not. The Magic winners are two in a row. And the big news last night at Amway Center, Markel Fultz makes his return 419 days away from the parquet. And uh, he was good. It looked like he didn't miss a beat. Ten points last night, six assists, had one turnover. And the Magic get the win over the Orlando Pacers, uh, the Indiana Pacers, excuse me. They're still in Orlando. We'll see them again on Wednesday here at Amway Center. My guest this week, the uh, dynamic duo of OrlandoMagic.com, Dan Savage, Josh Cohen. Josh, every time I have Dan on, I call it the no prep pod because we could just sort of freelance and just sort of go uh, for 30, 40 minutes. This is like double easy for me. I mean, I'm just going to wind the two of you guys up and let you go. And it was it's funny. I was thinking about it. I think, Josh, what, what was your first season with the Magic? So full-time was the 2009-2010 season, but I was a temp the year that they went to the finals in 2009. I actually started right in the middle of that playoff year. So my first experience was in the first round against Philadelphia. And the first game I attended in Orlando was game three against Boston in the second round. So I started off uh, on a really high note. Yeah, what, what an awesome way to start. And Dan, you were there, what, a year prior to that? Yeah, so I actually started at the beginning of that season. So uh, 2008, nine, my first experience with the Magic was going right to the NBA Finals. <laughs> my, point, my point is that um, I love having Dan, Josh, like you guys are kind of like my my relievers in the bullpen for when there's nothing to talk about because I think the two of you guys have done an amazing, you guys could probably teach a course on creating content uh, with underwhelming uh, teams, I think probably based on the last decade or so. But then when there's big news as well, I also love to have you guys because I know that I'm going to get the right perspective from the two of you because you do such a great job. Uh, And that is the case today. This is not one of those days where there's nothing to talk about. Uh, 20 games remaining. I mean, obviously Mark makes his comeback last night and that's the big story, but there's so many, sort of branches off of that and things that we're going to look forward to these last 20 games, things that can be accomplished, even though the team uh, will not be making a playoff push. Um, I don't think so. Josh, let's start with you. What, what, what was your impression of last night, seeing Markel back out there, the emotional boost um, that it brought the building, that it brought the locker room. And then what did you see tangibly on the floor as well? I thought Markel was as good as anyone could have possibly expected in his return. Like you said, 419 days away from, the last time he played, I think he did exactly what he was doing before the injury, orchestrating the offense, going downhill, finishing at the basket, pulling up from the mid range. Uh, I think, again, as I brought this up many times is probably his most underrated quality is the low turnovers. I mean, we obviously the magic have struggled mightily turning the ball over all season. They ranked 25th in that category, averaging nearly 15 of them per game. So Markel is going to help immensely in that area. And I just love how quick he is with his decision process. Like he doesn't need any ramp up time. Like you throw him in the game and immediately he's aware of what needs to be done to get others involved. And I think that was really showcased in his return performance. And I thought all around, again, considering he hadn't played in so long, I thought he was sharp. I thought he was spry. I would have liked to see him take at least one three pointer because we all know that that is going to be the big element of his game going forward as far as whether he could take his game to the next level or not. But nonetheless, he was crafty as usual, creative, acrobatic. The ball handling is as good as it's ever been. So I thought overall, uh, 
if I had to give it a grade, A or A minus for a debut, or not a debut necessarily, but a return performance, at least debut for the season. Season debut, anyways. And it's funny, yeah. the one turnover was before, right before the end of the first quarter. It was like a brain fart. Like he, he just gave the yeah. ball right to the Pacers. But you're right, the handle looked great. I mean, and he looked very, very fluid, did he not, Dan? I mean, I sort of expected to see maybe him ease into the game. Uh, he was out there and he was attacking right away. He was defending right away. He looked, um, he looked about as good as you could hope for. No, for me, the, the biggest thing looking in a situation like this is, look, you could simulate shots, you can simulate passing drills, you can, you can do all that. Uh, it's really hard to simulate live game action. And what was the psychological impact going to be from an injury like that? Your first game back, are you going to be hesitant going to the rim, you know, doing similar moves to, to what perhaps got you injured in, in the first place. And he showed no signs of that. And I thought that was huge. Uh, and I thought it was only fitting that, you know, in his return, uh, ball movement at times has been a problem for this Magic team, even though it's been preached by Jamal Mosley since his arrival. So it's only fitting that, you know, eight players getting double figures in a win, tie a franchise record. Uh, and I think what you'll see with Markel is his return in the way he plays, it's contagious. You know, other guards on the team, whether it be Cole Anthony, whether it be Jalen Suggs, see the way that Markel's distributing the ball. And it's hard to, to play isolation basketball after that. So I think it's only fitting that, you know, Markel returns, he's distributing the ball in a good fashion. And then guess what? Along with eight players and double figures, Jalen Suggs matches his career high with 10 assists. So I like the element he brings to the game. It's dynamic. And the key for, for this going forward is can they maintain that type of ball movement even when shots aren't going in? Mm. Um, one of the things that I'm most anxious, and I'll go back to you, Dan, for this one, um, to see the rest of the way is two-man game, pick and roll with, with, with him and Wendell. Is it – I mean, I'm just kind of thinking back and I'm going, am I like misremembering this? We remember how good Markel was in the pick and roll with Vooch um, and with Ken Birch. And then, but also I remember when I first got here was when Markel first got here and it, he was sort of supplanting DJ Augustine who had that sort of two man game. So eventually you're going to work out, I think a, a combination that's going to work regardless of who it is that's running um, screen and roll. But Markel is, I think he's, it's almost easily, Dan, he is the most naturally gifted, innate pick and roll player on the team. Would you agree? As no, far no, as ball with, handling goes? Without question. Uh, and I think the thing that makes Martel so special is just, he makes the right play. Right. It's, he's a great guy to coach because he, he doesn't force anything. Uh, he's just looking to see what the defense gives him and that's what he takes. And the element of Wendell that, that is, uh, I would say different than Vooch or uh, Kem Birch is with one of them, you were sacrificing something with Vooch. You know, you, you might not be getting a good of a screen as Kem Birch with Kem Birch. You weren't getting as good of a shot uh, in a pick and pop situation as you were with Vooch. So with Wendell, he's kind of hybrid of, of both those players. Yep. One, he's a massive, you know, massively solid body. That's a willing screener. So he can give that to Markel. And we've seen him extend his range this season out past the three-point line. So he can really, you know, be a lob threat in those situations. He could pop and knock down a mid-range shot, or he could step all the way back to three and, and be, be, you know, make shots there. So I think with that element, him playing with Markel, it should be really exciting. And it's only fitting 
You know, Markel talked about the other day that he's been watching Wendell since his AAU days. So there's a, already a little bit of a chemistry there. And it's just wild to think that, you know, Wendell was acquired at the, the trade deadline last season, you know, got, got a contract this offseason. The two of them haven't even really played together in, in game action. So it's going to be exciting to watch how that relationship forms and how that bond forms on the court between the two of them over the final 20 games of the season. Yeah, the role game, you know, you go back to Vooch, even when he was rolling, he was rolling to a spot on the block, whereas mm -hmm. Wendell is going to roll to the front of the rim and you might be able to get some more lobs. Um, I think that it, it opens up that. Um, that's going to be really interesting to keep an eye on here coming down the stretch, I think. And, you know, yeah, just just do the Vooch trade in your head real fast. I mean, we're a year removed and we've got Franz and Wendell and then another pick eventually. So uh, I think things have worked out well as far as that goes. Josh, what the salary else? cap flexibility within there too. Well, people forget about that El Farouk Aminu uh, Otto Porter swap. That gave you at least a little bit um, of, uh, of, uh, of flexibility to make a move if you, uh, if you so desire, Josh, um, what else are you looking for last 20 games, other combinations, um, things that you think Markel can have help out with immediately? Yeah, we didn't see Markel play with either Cole Anthony or Jalen Suggs last night. So I'm going to assume that's inevitably going to happen in the not so distant future. I don't know if we'll play with both of them at the same time, although some teams are throwing out these three guard lineups, which I would assume that Jamal Mosley will at least explore at portions of the remainder of the season, but either, or I'd be happy to see him play alongside, but uh, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, anytime you have multiple playmakers on the floor at the same time, do they get in the way of each other? Do they have good chemistry? It's always kind of unknown until you actually see it play out. But yeah, I mean, as far as like you were talking about with Markel and Wendell, uh, I do think they have a chance to be a, a lethal duo, you know, Vooch, you know, statistically, granted, it was only eight games last year uh, before Fultz got hurt, but food shot 50% from the field in pick and roll when the facilitator uh, was Fultz. Mm. And obviously, that's a pretty high percentage for a guy that takes a lot of his shots away from the basket, as right. Vooch does. Uh, Wendell is a little bit more of a garnering space guy because when he rolls inside, his big body is allowed, you know, it helps him create more of a cushion inside uh, to, you know, kind of not shove guys out of the way, but at least create enough space where he can dunk it or at least get closer to the basket for an easy layup. So uh, I, I think that definitely has a chance of being very an impressive duo as we march forward. Uh, the other thing with Wendell, by the way, I swear, I mean, it's not quite on Jonas Valanciunas's level, but does he have like the second best shot fake at the top of the arc amongst bigs in the league right now? Because <laughs> I swear when I watch Valanciunas play and I'm like on television, I swear I get tricked every single time. His <laughs> shot fake at the top, I think he's shooting it and he obviously doesn't um, abundance of times. Wendell's getting closer and closer to being that type of guy where he he gives a pump fake and I'm like, oh, I thought he was going to shoot it in that moment and he doesn't. So uh, I like that aspect of uh, Wendell's game. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think the combinations as far as the lineups that uh, Jamal Mosley employs going forward is going to be very interesting. I do think that Markel played nicely in the brief time with RJ Hampton. So that's a, a really good sign as well. And uh, we know that with a traditional off-ball guard like Gary Harris or Terrence Ross, Markel's going to thrive. So uh, that showed again last night, and I don't think that'll change anytime soon. So, uh, yeah, I, I do want to see, though, maybe it's Wednesday uh, in the rematch against Indiana. We will see Markel play with either Jalen or Cole, at least in small bursts, maybe not the entire time Fultz is on the floor, but at least for a portion of it. 
See that flexibility though. I mean, that to me, that's so big, you know, you closed the game out with RJ on the floor last night. Now, granted you, you had a pretty comfortable lead, but you went kind of small and you can get away with that against Indiana. And then if we see Brogdon tomorrow and I expect to, you know, you're talking Brogdon, um, buddy and Halliburton at the one, two, three, having a guy like Markel. And of course, you know, it's going to be limited minutes the rest of the way, but having that, that versatility, being able to switch and, and guard, I mean, Markel's big enough. He can guard one through four if it's a small enough team. And now you put him out there with a couple other guys who are able to do that. And you just got a ton of options um, as far as defending goes. And the RJ thing, Josh, is really interesting because there was a lot made earlier in the season about whether or not RJ should have the ball in his hands or should be playing off ball. I kind of think in a season like this, you know, this is where you this is where you suffer through it. And, and this is where you get that experience, even though it might not look right. With that said, I'm sure RJ will enjoy being able to uh, to to give up the to rock at times. And I think everybody's going to learn from watching Markel run an offense and watching Markel direct things. I think, you know, long term, guys like RJ and Cole are going to be battling Markel for for playing time, probably. But it's really going to help them in the in the short term um just watch and just i think be on the floor with him i think rj josh it it could go a long way in just 20 games couldn't it yeah and i think especially in transition because one of fultz's most underrated qualities as well is his ability to push the pace and find guys in the open floor rj is a guy using his explosiveness and speed that should thrive in that style of offense we've seen that play out when he's been on the floor And whether it's with Markel or a guy like Jalen Suggs, who also flourishes in a more up-tempo game, uh, I would expect RJ's production to increase just by the speed of the game going up. And regardless of whether it's Markel or Jalen running the show, or even Cole to maybe a lesser extent, uh, I think I personally think at this point, RJ could be utilized in different ways, but I like him as sort of a go-down-the-side guy and either as a spot-up or kind of catch-and-go, like, no, no hesitation. If he yep. sees the opening kind of explode inside, uh, I don't really see him necessarily as a, a defined playmaker, uh, a, a total shot creator off the dribble, but it's, if he sees opening and if he's on a loose defender, whether it's a switch on a big or just a, a slower footed uh, defender, I feel like he has the speed, the versatility, the size to be able to be not only crafty enough, but also uh, shifty enough to explode inside and whether he, creates for himself or finds a guy on a kick out when he gets into the paint, because I think that's generally how he, how he's able to uh, help others find shots is when he gets into the paint and either it's a driving kick scenario or a drop off to a big or something like that in a dunker spot. But uh, like I said, in transition, I feel like he's more comfortable with that because, you know, he has the physical tools to be exceptional in transition. And that's why Markel coming back should benefit a guy like RJ Hampton. I think of it immediately with RJ and Jalen. I mean, those two guys are so athletically gifted, but it's a cliche, but we've been saying it all year. The game's going to slow down. The game's going to slow down. Well, Markel makes the game look slow and feel slow. Everybody else, I should say, you know, Uh, he's just so under control and um, so smart about the way he attacks, you know, that shiftiness, changing speeds, that stuff all comes with experience, but RJ and Jalen suck specifically, I think, um, will gain a whole lot of experience and value just being on the floor with Markel and watching him operate. Um, Dan, the defense has been has been trending up over the last, uh, what, going back last two months now. Um, I think 13th in terms of defensive rating in calendar year 2022. Um, 
what are you seeing? Obviously, Markel is going to help that out quite a bit. But, you know, as you're making changes to the lineup and different rotations, guys coming back, guys going out, uh, which has happened over the course of the last two months, it can be really tricky to build any sort of positive defensive habits. And this team has somehow done that. And I do think it, you know, they've been a little bit more consistently healthy, especially over the last month. Um, but what are you seeing? And, and what a testament to Coach Mosley that he's been able to to mold a team of all 25 and under, essentially, uh, into a respectable defensive team. Well, and look, you know, you, you have to credit Mose because there's been no stretch of the season with a team that's, you know, in their respective win mark uh, that's been as locked in and played as hard night in and night out as this Orlando Magic team. I mean, you go back and look at the, the Rockets game, the Indiana Pacers game. Um, you know, those are two teams that are that are struggling in their own right. And, and they've had their ups and downs throughout the course of the season. And the, the one thing you look at this Orlando Magic locker room, it's as tied and tight together as any in the league. And it's not reflective of the record. Uh, so that's a huge testament to Moe's. And the fact that they're continuing to make strides on the defensive end, that's an area where, you know, when you're kind of out of the playoffs, guys start to drift a little bit, yeah. focus on their sort of stats, getting theirs, you know, building up their repertoire, seeing where they can ex excel. And this Magic team, you look at the game against the Pacers last night, and they're as locked into team basketball as any point in the season. So a huge testament to them. Where I see the biggest growth on the defensive end is, one, having Jalen Suggs back as a pick-and-roll defender is huge. And now he is aggressive on that end of the floor, and he's going to have nights like he did against the Rockets a, a few games back where he gets into quick foul trouble and perhaps makes some over-aggressive plays that leave you scratching your head like, why are you doing that when you already have three fouls? But at the same time, you want to control that aggression, and he's got to figure out the spots where he should be doing that and where he needs to ease off a little bit. So that's one thing I like. The other thing I like is having Markel Fultz back, and this is going to be a reiterating point of how it helps you in so many ways. But as Josh alluded to early, earlier, the low turnover guy, and where we saw the Magic's defense slip is almost directly correlated when they have the most live ball turnovers. When yeah. they're turning it over and they're not in their set defense, things can get away from them. So with Markel back and cutting the turnover number down, I think we're going to see the defensive numbers continue to improve because they'll be playing against a set defense. And with two bigs like Mo Bamba, who's such a, a great weak side shot blocker, and, and Wendell, who's such a good positional defender, I, I think this Magic defense is going to continue to make strides because they're so versatile, you know, whether it be, you know, Jalen's aggressiveness or Franz's ability to switch, Chuma Okiki, who's made strides on that end as he continues to get more and more familiar with the system and his ability to switch. This Magic team is very versatile with the way that they could attack and switch and, and throw different defensive looks at players. Dan, you, you, you seem to be very plugged into the like emotional mood of the locker room, but both of you guys. And part of that, I think, is because you travel. And part of that is because you're, you, you do your job day to day. And <laughs> you, you guys are the primary question askers. Um, I loved what Chuma said after the game on Friday. He was like, he's, it's almost an irrational level of confidence this team has, right? It was like, we act this way when we're losing. Imagine how we're going to act when we start winning games. And it was sort of loosely maybe related to Jalen Suggs throwing the ball off the backboard to himself uh, in the middle of that game while being down. 
Um, but I, somehow, I mean, that starts somewhere. And I don't know if it's Cole Anthony and his <laughs> and his outward uh, persona or Coach Mosley telling him have fun before every game. Somewhere along the line, I'm sure it's all of the above. Somewhere along the line, this team said, we understand how bad it is right now, but it's going to turn. We're confident enough that it's going to turn, and we're going to have fun turning it. And that is like an undeniable um, spirit that I think, Dan, can be really easy to lose in a season like this. It's a special group of guys, I think, or at least it's a, a unique group of guys. And I think Coach Mosley's done an outstanding job of just keeping their spirits up in what's been a very, very difficult season, losses notwithstanding, due to the health and safety protocols, the injuries. Um, it's been a it's been a, it's been a trying couple of months, and they've done a great job, I think, of just sort of rising above all of it. No, without question. And and look, to just give you like a little bit of insight, there I've worked with a lot of coaches and over our time here, we've had you know a number of them come through over the last you know eight or so seasons, and there have been some very talented coaches come through. But the one thing about Mosley that just stands out is his consistency, his level-headedness, and his willingness. You know, everybody talked about his, you know, ability to make emotional connections uh, prior to him coming here. And it's just so true. And it's not one thing. Like, it's not, oh, he just did this one thing and that really stands out. It's just a consistency over the day-to-day basis, the way he keeps a, a great attitude. Just from little things as you're walking past him on the plane, you know, a lot of coaches are just locked into their computer, you know, tunnel vision. You know, he's giving you a pat pat on the shoulder, you know, talking to you, giving words of encouragement to everybody that passes through. He's just such a consistently good human being, you know, asking people locked in. And he does that with everyone, whether, you know, you're the lowliest guy on the staff like me who's walking past him or, or other coaches on his staff. And I think that carries over. It's just a testament to who he is. And that sets the tone all the way down. You know, if you're getting con- consistency like that from your leader, it, it works its way uh, down the line. And I think on top of that, you know, players are aware of the other guys that are around them and nobody's looking at this as a, as a player and going like, who do I have around me? I got a bunch of bums or these guys, you know, on the decline or whatever. I think everybody has watched, you know, these guys are so tied in on the AAU circuit and haven't played with each other or seen each other at the college level. And they know the talent that's around them. It's just a matter of inexperience. So I think everybody that looks around the, the locker room realizes the talent is there. Yeah, it's just a matter of gaining and garnering the experience. And when you have a t- when you have that combination of talent, the awareness of talent, coupled with the stable leadership of a guy like Jamal Mosley, uh, it, it benefits itself. And then you've just got great locker room personalities. Like yeah, as Chuma alluded to, can you imagine when like Cole Anthony's going on a heater and this team's like five games win streak with those post-game press conferences are going to be like, oh. I mean, it's content gold for all of us. <laughs> We're all rolling with that. So, so I, I just like the stability that Mosley sets, the talent that's in the locker room, and then just coupled with having good guys. Like that's clearly part of what Jeff Weltman, John Hammond, you know, go about when they're scouting is making sure that they're adding guys to the locker room that are quality individuals. Cause like you can look up and down that roster and there's not like one guy where you're like, ah, I want to avoid talking to him or he's just a bad dude. There's, it just doesn't exist with this team. And you could look up and down rosters throughout the league. That is not the case. No, you know, it's, you talk to people just like, just like we do as teams come in and it's like, 
you know, you hear it all the time. Like this guy's a head case. This guy's hard to deal with. He's not running what the coaches tell him, you know, the, the line goes on and on. There's just not those guys in the Orlando magic locker room. No, it's, I think that, you know, obviously credit to, to Jeff and John for selecting these guys, but I do think it goes back to Mosley. Like you said, um, Dan and his staff, you know, you, you can have a bunch of kids, but if, if there isn't some structure and it has to be, it has to be structure, but in a way where you're almost tricking them. Like you're, you're like, this guys, this is fun. And then you're teaching them the fundamentals of basketball. Um, I think that's, you know, Josh can speak to that in his coaching experience. Uh, we got into that last time around <laughs> the pod. Um, although I don't think coach Mosley's re- receiving phone calls from angry parents. Um, let's do some NBA stuff before we go, because I mean, the playoffs are going to be here before we know it. Um, heck the draft lottery is going to be here before we know it. Um, Josh, your MVP is John Morant making a charge at this point, or are you a Jojo guy? Yeah, he's in the conversation, but I think Joel Embiid is not a lock necessarily, but I think he's got to be the heavy favorite. And now with James Harden, I feel like his uh, his work's going to be made a little bit easier as well. I mean, he's just been unbelievable. I said it earlier in the year. It's it's a huge statement. I know, like. I don't, you know, I'm not historian necessarily, but I like to consider myself, you know, aware of basketball history. It. Lay it on me. Let's hear it. Yeah. I mean, I think Embiid and Jokic are the two best centers of all time from a talent standpoint. I love that. They don't have the accolades yet. They don't have the accolades yet. But from a skill standpoint, I can't find two guys that are more versatile than both of them. And MB could have fit in any generation and been exceptional as far as the post-up game, the mid, I mean, to me, he's a combination of Kevin Durant and Akeem Olajuwon footwork, step back ability, obviously spaces the floor from three. If he needs to, his intimidation inside is arguably just as good as Shaquille O'Neal was or Will Chamberlain. If you want to go way back, Uh, it's just remarkable to see his development over time and, He's just getting better. I mean, obviously, the big question over the last few years, would would he be able to stay healthy enough to be durable? And that still remains to be seen because it does seem like each year he seems to fade in the playoffs. And that certainly happened last year. So we'll see how it looks this year. He seems more motivated than ever. But uh, from an all-around skill set standpoint, there's nobody to me at his size that possesses more qualities than him. And then Jokic, the ultimate seven foot playmaker who is just so savvy. And so he's just a genius on the floor. What he does with his size is just remarkable. So yeah, I think they're the two best centers of all time from a skill standpoint, accolades still have to come, but uh, I can't, I mean, I have watched so much stuff of these guys, whether it's Kareem, Bill Russell, uh, Will Chamberlain, Shaq. And I always thought Shaq was the best and he probably was the most dominant, but skill wise, I'll take Embiid and Jokic. I love it. It's kind of like my argument. I always go like, there's the greatest of all time and the best of all time. And right. yeah, you can say Mike's the greatest of all time, but I, th- I don't think anybody's ever played basketball as well as LeBron James. And yes, Jerry Rice is the greatest receiver of all time, but I don't think anybody's ever played receiver as well as Randy Moss, uh, in my opinion, or, you know, uh, uh, Dan Marino type thing, right? There's a, there's a difference between talent and accomplishments and how well and what what a high level a player is playing the game. And it's hard, it's hard to argue that anybody's ever been as offensively good from the center position as Nicole Jokic. Like the, we've got pretty raw numbers to back that up. Um, the really unique part, Dan, I think is that these two guys are doing it in 2021, 2022 um, when the game has changed so much. And, you know, five years ago, I would have told you, boy, I don't know if you can build an NBA offense around a center 
granted, these guys are very, very unique players, but um, it does feel like Dan, doesn't it? It's it, the narrative is sort of, I hate using that word, um, but you know how we do it in the NBA. This feels like Joel Embiid's MVP year because last year was Nikola Jokic's MVP year and the year before was Giannis. It's like, that's, that's how it's going to work. I think. No, no question. And uh, you know, count me in that, in that trend where it was just like, uh, it's hard to say if it's like, if it's worth drafting a big early anymore, because you know, it's becoming such a back court or wing player driven league and you know just get a guy who's athletic and can attack the rim and and, you know defend the rim on the other end you know somewhere in the mid to late point in the draft yeah uh Clint Capella go get Clint Capella he was my my prototype basically but as we're seeing you know it the game is trending to not only where do you need a big who can do those elements but can also you know space the floor and then on top of that, be a playmaker. Mm. Uh, and if you can get playmaking out of your big, as well as your, you know, point guard or primary ball handler, uh, you're an extremely dangerous team because no matter what defensive adjustments the opposition makes, you can counter it. If you're going to, you know, try to block the playmaking of your big, you know, in, in Jokic's case, uh, well, if you have Jamal Murray and he's healthy and he's out there, um, then he's going to provide a strong counterpunch. You know, conversely, now with the Sixers, you try to take the ball out of Joel Embiid's hands. Well, good luck dealing with James Harden. <laughs> I mean, and we saw early in Embiid's career where he had the biggest success is when he could operate in pick and rolls with dangerous guards who could shoot. You know, him and J.J. Redick working the, the handoff game uh, had tremendous success pulling in a guy like Seth Curry was supposed to supplement that. But when you have a guy of James Harden's talent who can kill you in so many ways, that combo is just going to be lethal. And, you know, I I really think they're going to be a dangerous team this postseason. But imagine if both of them stay healthy and and they have a full season next year, what that's going to look like and and continue to build around it. That is going to be uh, as well-balanced and tough-to-beat team uh, as anyone in the league. See, but that feels like a big if, you know. Go ahead, Josh. No, I was just going to add one more thing to this whole thing. So remember back in the day when it came to centers, is like, can you shoot free throws, right? And there's still some guys in the league at that position who can't shoot free throws. But, like, Akeem Olajuwon was not a terrible free throw shooter in his day. But he shot, I think, for his career, like 60-something percent from the free throw line along those lines. It might have been a little higher than that. Um, might have been like 70% somewhere in that category or in that ballpark. Both Jokic and MB both shoot over 80% from the line. MB gets there a ton. And even Jokic gets there a fair amount, I think almost six times a game. So, like, that is a completely ridiculously disregarded aspect of both of them. Because back in the day, like, it was just a total bonus yeah. if any of the centers that were of high quality could shoot from the free throw line. And I always thought of Akeem as one of the better ones. And I think, I think it was like 70% for his career, whatever the case may be. But like most of those guys, you know, not obviously elite free throw shooters. Shaq, of course, was one of the worst. Dwight Howard, we know, couldn't shoot from the line. So. Andre Drummond, I've got plenty of experience covering <laughs> centers who can't shoot free yep, throws. Yep, yeah, DeAndre Jordan, all those guys from just like, you know, a decade ago or at least like five, six years ago that were considered of the upper echelon. These two guys don't even miss from the line practically. I mean, a great point. You know? Because you extrapolate that. I mean, you're talking about four or five points per game a season. You know, you're talking about the difference between 22 and 26 points a game. Uh, 
uh, or whatever. Um, and, you know, it's the center position. And so that's obviously, you know, Embiid does such a great job. I mean, he looks like a he looks like Harden. I'm watching that Knicks game the other day and he's doing he, he's like Trey Young at seven foot pump faking and jumping into guys. But hey, it is what it is. Um, all right. Before we go, we've got just a couple minutes. So is Philadelphia whoever wants to jump in Philadelphia, the favorite out of the East? Who do you guys like? I was gonna, I was gonna let Josh roll with it, but because uh, I know this is his his favorite topic, but uh, I I think if they stay healthy, um, I I just love balance, and I think that the the balance of what Embiid and it's the most boring Harden, answer I've ever heard. I love balance. Come on, I know, but it, as we see, it's just like what proves to win year after year is yeah. like balance on both ends of the floor is it, it gives you the best chance and. That's what like Stan always says. Find me a top five team say, in, in both, right? Channeling my inner Stan Van Gundy or Steve Clifford because those are those are the stats they love to look at. But like, you know, I, we, Josh and I were talking about this yesterday. Like, you know, coach of the year candidates like Eric Spolstra. Like, how is that Heat team at the top of the East with everything they've dealt with over the course of the year? The number of defenders that they could throw at you in the half court, uh, you know don't discount them either. <laughs> you know, they, they're built. I think that roster is built for the playoffs and, and that type of game. And they're having already tremendous regular season success. Like I thought it would be the flip of the script for them. When I looked at that roster this season, yeah. I was like, they're probably going to be like the fourth or fifth seed in the East, but like you do not want to play them in the postseason. And then come to find out they're number one in the East right now. And you're going to toss the home court advantage on top of that, the way their roster is constructed. Uh, I, I like those two teams when I look at the East, but it's definitely a much more loaded Eastern Conference than we've seen in, in years past. It's nuts. I mean, Boston's playing almost as well as anybody. And yeah. we haven't mentioned Milwaukee. I, I, Brooklyn, it seems like, OK, you better get these guys on the floor. You're hearing right. about Simmons not coming back. But that is, I mean... Heck, we, you know, Cleveland is – I think Cleveland and Chicago probably cute stories this year. Cleveland might fall out. I mean, they might be in the play-in before they know it. Um, and the Bulls just can't defend at the level I think that they need to. But with that said, Josh, I mean, elsewhere, it's going to be a murderer's row this year. Yeah, I mean, you have six elite Eastern Conference teams, and I'm including Chicago as an elite team just based on the fact that offensively they're amongst the best when you have two of the best ISO scores in Levine and DeRozan, but two of those teams are going to lose in the first round, which is hard (laughs) to believe. It's just, and yeah, you mentioned Boston and they're kind of sneaking under the radar because defensively nobody's better than them. No, you know, maybe maybe Dallas to an extent, but just real quick off the top of your head, guys, a team with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown that defends like that. It it just with like at, at the surface level, that's a championship contender in my head. Yeah, like I like Derek White. I thought that was a pretty good acquisition, but he's still not a good enough playmaker overall. They're still lacking point guard death, or right. even lead point guard. I and mean, we know Marcus Smart really isn't exceptional in that role. But uh, yeah, I mean, when you are shutting down opponents the way the Celtics have been over the last like two months, uh, you have to throw them in the conversation along with the fact that they have two prolific scores in Tatum and Brown. And Robert Williams is an arguably, you know, most improved player candidate. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see what uh, they get from him as the season marches forward. But yeah, I'm going to stick with Philly for the time being, but it's fluid. Uh, this is as motivated as Harden probably has ever been. Uh, granted, yeah. it's only been two games that he's played with Philly so far, but those two games, he's looked like 
I, you could even argue from a uh, tactical standpoint and just the fact that he never played with a guy like MB before. This is even better than his his Houston days from an all around standpoint, because we know what he did uh, from a scoring and playmaking standpoint with the Rockets. But he is just breaking everyone down uh, with so much mastery. And to have a guy like Embiid in his corner just makes the game even easier. Granted, again, it's just two games, but I was extremely impressed with those two performances. Uh, so I'll stick with the Sixers for now, but obviously you can't rule out the Bucks. you know, defending champions. I do think them not having P.J. Tucker this year is a factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see if they get Brooke Lopez you know, up and running because he's a huge factor in what they do. You know, I know getting Serge Ibaka gives them some extra size, but uh, I think they're going to need Lopez in the long run. And, uh, you know, Chris Middleton, from a percentage standpoint, uh, I don't feel like this has been one of his better seasons. Right. Uh, I, I feel like this is a little bit of a down. And I know he played in the Olympics, didn't have much rest time, and maybe that's been a factor for him, but he's going to have to pick it up as we, as we go forward. And like, as Dan said, Miami, you, you can't rule them out. I mean, they're the number one seed for a reason and they arguably have the best coach in the league with Eric Spolstra. And uh, if he played more games, you could definitely say Jimmy Butler deserves to be in the MVP conversation because mm. he's, he's just unbelievable. Um, so yeah. And then, you know, Brooklyn, like you said, Jake, like they got to get these guys on the floor. Otherwise, they're going to be in the playing tournament. I feel the same way. We got two minutes left. So let's go quick, Josh. I feel the same way about Golden State out west. Like I, I'm just watching them. I'm going, OK, like you don't have you got 20 games now to get these guys on the floor together. You no, know, Clay got sick or whatever. And Draymond's getting close. And of course, they have the experience together. But this is all new. I mean, they, they don't have the experience playing together in 2022 uh, or with Jordan Poole or whatever. I mean, it feels like to me out West, I still like Utah. I just can't shake them. Um, I think Phoenix obviously is going to be everybody's selection, but what are you looking at out West Josh uh, in 90 seconds? I like the Warriors. You know, Draymond Green is out right now. And I think when he comes back, we'll see them get back to being just clicks. Yeah. He he just seems like an instant generator on so many levels on both ends of the floor. You know, Andrew Wiggins, I know he gets criticized a lot just based on the fact that the hype was so big, but he should make an all defensive team in my estimation. And, uh, you know, Steph Curry's shooting percentages, I do think is a little alarming. It's kind of gone under the radar. He's not shooting it nearly as efficiently as he did in the past. But I would assume that once the stakes get higher, that'll get back to norm. And then as long as Clay Thompson is at least giving you that uh, a reasonable level of production that we would normally see from him. I, I like the Warriors, but can't rule out the Suns. And like you said, the Jazz, I think are in the mix. Dan, 20 seconds out west. I, I, I'm going to be boring here and say I like the Warriors as well. I just think... The experience, the balance, to use that again, uh, of what they all have. And we still haven't seen, you know, w- what Wiseman can offer when he's, you know, tied in with that whole unit. Uh, I just really like the number of weapons that they have. And they got a good young rookie, too, who, who's, you know, been effective in limited playing time. I, I like what that group has. Guys, thanks so much. I appreciate it. We're going to do it again at the end of the year. We'll wrap it up and, and review the last 20 games. All right. All right. Thanks, Jake. Appreciate it. Josh Cohen, Dan Savage, OrlandoMagic.com. Jake Chapman here with you. It's been the Mostly Magic Podcast. We're back next week. Have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.